If you're like me, you are just getting so hooked on this series, A Day in the Life of a School-Based SLP. And I'm not even a school-based SLP. I am a die-hard med-based SLP, and I am thoroughly loving learning what my counterparts are doing in the school system. Every episode, I am coming away with something. So meet our next guest. This is Bria Carey. She has her master's in science degree and is has her C's as well. And she is a New Jersey native and the director of BES. As the daughter of an educator, Bria was always interested in serving her community, similar to her mother. Bria graduated from Purdue University and received her undergraduate degree in speech, language, and hearing sciences with minors in psychology and Spanish. As her passion grew, specifically around assisting individuals with speech, language, and cognitive impairments, she decided to further her education and she completed two years of comprehensive training in Purdue's Master's Science in Speech-Language Pathology. Now, this episode, I've already listened to it. I'm coming back and I'm recording this intro because I just wanna give you a, a peek into what's coming. Bria is a unicorn in our field. She is one of those rare SLPs who is so happy in her dream job. So listen to this episode, grab some popcorn, grab a coffee, Turn the volume up, chill, relax, do whatever you do when you listen to podcasts and enjoy. Welcome back to a day in the life of a school-based speech-language pathologist. I am Katie Weidstrom-Landgraf, and I am joined by Rhea Carey. Rhea, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Oh, I'm so looking forward to this conversation and uh, learning about your day in the life of a school-based SLP. So let's get right into it. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your journey to becoming a speech-language pathologist and how you ended up in the school-based setting? Yes, of course. So I, ever since I was young, I always knew I wanted to work in a school. Uh, My mom, she retired from being a teacher. She was a teacher for 27 years in the same district. So ever since I was little, she would pick me up. I would go back to school with her, just always in that kind of environment. Um, So when I got to high school, I ultimately thought I wanted to be a third grade teacher, but uh, I was presented with different paths, such as, you know, speech therapy, occupational, developmental. Um, So I ultimately decided to shadow speech therapist at my mom's school. I applied to 10 different undergrad programs. I actually flipped a coin to go to my university. (laughs) I like the decision-making process. I don't know. The schools are very different. A five-year master's program versus like a big, uh, big 10 university, like very different. So I flipped the coin. Where did you end up? I ended up at Purdue for undergrad. And that was like the last, I just threw that school on my list, actually. (laughs) But it ended up being a really good uh, choice for me. And I stayed there for grad school too. So Wonderful. So that's how you got your degree. What led you specifically to the school that you're at now? Could you talk to us a little bit more about your school that you're in and the specific setting you work in, a little bit about like the age range that you work with? Could you tell us more about that? Yeah. So I feel like it's kind of a full circle type of thing. 
um, when I was still an undergrad, I would still go, when I come back home from Indiana to New Jersey, um, I would still shadow SLPs here in the area of New Jersey. So there was one at my mom's school. She did feeding and she worked with um, the medically fragile population. So about a year or so ago, she called me and asked if I wanted a job somewhere from where she could get me in. And so I accepted that position after visiting. I, you know, I saw the kids. I saw how everyone interacted. It was such a tiny, tiny school. Wow. Um, now, when you say tiny, tiny school, I do have to tell you, I actually work in a high <laughs> school with 3,000 students. So could you talk to us a little bit about what tiny means for you? Tiny is 200 students total. So from pre-K three all the way through eighth grade. Oh, wow. Okay. So I started off with a caseload of 20. So, and you're working pre-K all the way through, you said eighth grade? Eighth grade. Yeah. They're all in one school. Could you talk to us a little bit about how that works in terms of just therapy planning, because I would imagine planning for that little person is going to feel different than planning for your eighth grader. Could you talk to us a little bit about um, how you work that age range and planning your therapies? Yeah, of course. So I would say for my little ones, I'm really big on play-based therapy. I've taken a lot of courses um, this past year about play-based therapy, done a lot of research and you know, really familiarized myself with the benefits of it and also how to explain that to parents. Um, so I like to do things like sensory bins, uh, lots of pretend play, and then really getting the kids engaged with each other, especially, you know, the kids just came right out of COVID. So they're really learning how to socialize with other kids. Some of them are only children. Um, so it's really important for me that they form healthy connections early on. And I think that's really good for their language development. For my older kids, I like to focus a lot on reading and really functional skills. You know, they're getting into state testing and lots more like writing prompts and things of that nature. So I like to communicate with their teachers, like Google Classroom and get their assignments. Um, you know, one thing I did this past week was go over specific vocabulary. Uh, some of the older kids don't necessarily explicitly know uh, what a declarative sentence is or X, Y, and Z. You know, that's something that we just naturally learn sometimes and we don't really explicitly teach that to our students. Um, so that's one thing that I've been focusing on a lot too. So not just this is what you need to do, but why you need to do it, what it is. I think especially with the older students, kind of giving it, giving them the reason, giving them the why really creates buy-in and keeps them coming back. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think uh, it can help them understand sort of the bigger ideas and the larger purposes of why we're together. So can you walk us through a typical day? Like what time you get to school and are you working with more groups or individuals? Are you pushing into classrooms? Just kind of talk us through your typical day. So fun fact is I'm a contract therapist. Um, ah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. And I mean, this is a district I would commit to, but what they're, they're really wanting is a contract therapist that varies in how many kids they have on their caseload. So I get to choose what time I go in and what time I end. And 
especially works well with my after school schedule for doing private practice work. Um, so I get to school around 9 a.m. And I always like to start my day with preschoolers because I feel like they're the most alert during that time. Nap time's around one o'clock and I don't want to get them when they're groggy or cranky. So I really try to prioritize having them in the morning about like 30 minutes after they get to school. And then I work my way up through kindergarten, first, second. I only work four days a week actually at my school. So Monday through Thursday. Wow. Okay. So this is really interesting to me. So when you say that you're a contract SLP, what I heard you say is that affords you some flexibility, even as you're plugging into kind of the structure of school. Exactly, exactly. So I, I get enough time to see all my kids. If I want to do individual sessions, I get enough time in my day, enough time in the week to have individual sessions. There's never a time where I, I have to say, oh, I have to plug this child into a group when I know it's not gonna be beneficial because I have free periods built in, I have child study team, IEP meeting time built in that's not always used. So I have that availability. And then teachers are very flexible in letting me move my schedule and kind of pull out whenever I need to. So one of the things I heard you say, and this is where I sometimes wish we had video, because when you said, I love being a contract SLP, like your whole face smiled when you said that. <laughs> and so, I, I mean, I'm hearing the schedule flexibility. That sounds delightful. What are other things you love about uh, being a contract SLP and working in the school setting? It's kind of like you're merging, I think. I think when people think of that, they might think of those options separately, but it sounds like you're saying, no, we don't have to choose. So could you talk a little bit more about what you love, uh, yeah. specifically about being a contract SLP? Yeah, I mean, before I became a contract therapist, I would always hear that contract therapists aren't really always accepted in their environment. Mm -hmm. um, but I was definitely very fortunate where everyone had open arms when I came into the school. So I, I really don't feel like a contract therapist. I had like four different rooms to choose from when I first got there. I got to decorate my room, um, order whatever materials I wanted. So usually when you're a contract therapist, they make you come with your own things. Um, but my school was very amazing in getting me to really integrate and feel like I'm a part of the team there. I got my, my own um, school email right from the beginning. So in terms of being a contract therapist, it's I think the schedule and the flexibility is the greatest benefit, but it's, it's just a lovely balance. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just a lovely balance. And I think for you know people my age and this newer generation, we really like having control over what we're able to do and when we're able to go into work and when we're able to have meetings, things of that nature. I think a lovely balance sounds mm -hmm. lovely. Now, I do want to ask you, and I know this is about being a school-based SLP, but you mentioned having time for private practice work as well. And I do think we can talk about how, this, how, how these work opportunities can look all different ways. So could you talk a little bit about the private practice aspect of what you do? 
Yes. So I work private practice three days after school. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 3.30 to 6 p.m. I have about five clients per day and they range from ages one through 14. So it's very different from the school where I have preschoolers and then going to an environment where I have early intervention where that wasn't necessarily my specialty, but really made me have to put in the work to learn so much more uh, about a specific area. Uh, so I think it's nice because some of the kids already receive services in school, so they know the drill, know what the routine is. And then it's also interesting because some of them are so young. Some of them are uh, just coming out of the pandemic. So it's just been a, a big, big learning curve. But like I said, because my school has been very gracious and then my private practice supervisors are very open and just supportive. Um, it's been a really nice balance and I think it hasn't led me to become burned out. I know that's a big thing right now in the field. It sure is. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so what would you say is one of your favorite things about uh, your job right now? <sighs> I would say I have two. I have two. I really love the parent interaction, especially because, you know, we only see our students or our clients for a small portion of the day. Um, so parents, they're with them a lot. And I also love teacher interaction. Teachers provide lots of valuable information um, about the students. So I just love being able to share my observations and knowledge with the teachers and parents, and they've all been very receptive. They'll send me emails, you know, asking for uh, specific information or different strategies they can use. I know one mom last week, we were discussing toys. So I told her, send me pictures of the toys that she has at home, you know, text them to me, and then I will give you recommendations for how to use each toy or why I think it's a good toy to use for specific goals. So just establishing those relationships because they're, they are like superheroes too. So do you have some advice or thoughts for either folks who are new to working with different interdisciplinary teams, working with parents, working with families, working with teachers? Do you have some advice or some tips to help people feel more comfortable or confident with that aspect of their jobs? Yeah, I would definitely say be open to learning about the other disciplines and how you guys can collaborate. Um, recently, ASHA, American Speech and Language Hearing Association, and the Physical Therapy Association and Occupational Therapy Association all came out with collaborative type of framework for how we can all practice into disciplinary practices. So. I definitely think that, you know, you reading those things, learning how you guys can write collaborative goals, and then also being able to explain, you know, your discipline in a way that's easy for them to understand as well. And I think, you know, a big thing with speech is the hot topic right now is bilingualism. That is not something that other professionals may not know about in terms of speaking multiple languages. So that's a big area that we can educate other people on. So do you have some 
thoughts or uh, things that you might uh, discuss with team members regarding uh, students who are bilingual or ELL? Yes, absolutely. So particularly in my school, the majority language is Spanish. Another language we are commonly exposed to is Portuguese. Um, So a lot of times within the meetings, we have to explain a language difference versus a language disorder. Sometimes with the testing, it may not be a tool where we can use the standardized scores, but we have to use a more descriptive information. Um, And then also encouraging parents to really still continue using their home native language. Um, So that can be a big concern when they come in. You know, we're exposing our child to this at home. I think they're getting kind of confused. And then also sometimes we receive referrals from pediatricians that also mention the child speaking multiple languages. I think they're confused. So making sure that we're educating them. I usually like to give handouts. So they're myths versus facts type of handouts I like to give out about bilingualism. It's been a little bit easier for me. I know it's not like this in all places, but my entire child study team is uh, bilingual Spanish English. (laughs) That's amazing. And you are right. It is not like that in just anywhere. (laughs) So I do think that is helpful. Wow. Okay. So uh, when you think about challenges, would you say you have some challenges at your current job? And if so, what would your challenges be? Hmm. I don't want to make it seem like everything is perfect and I'm living in la-la land, but it's just, I don't know. I I do honestly feel like this is my dream job. Like every day I'm at school, I look forward to going to the school building is is usually what I say is I know what to expect. I know I'm going to see my smiling preschoolers and they're, you know, pointing to me like, take me, take me. It's because they have so much fun learning in a, you know, an environment that's not as restrictive and where they get more one-on-one attention. Um, So I I really think I, I overall love my job. I think that's wonderful. (laughs) That's not a bad thing. (laughs) I know, I know. It's it's very weird to say, but I honestly, I can say like both just the balance of school and private practice has been amazing. I know many uh, school-based therapists have challenges in terms of getting access to materials and um, they're working in a closet. And, but right from the jump, I was offered everything I wanted and more. So I think that's wonderful. And so when you think about, um, I guess let's talk a little bit about just logistics. So how do you manage your workload? Are you somebody that documents as you go? Do you uh, like to spread it out? Do you have a larger chunk of time built in each day? Or how do, how do you manage some of the workload aspects of what you do? So I do daily documentation for myself. I do not have to submit notes to anyone, which is also a plus of my job. Um, But I do like to keep that information in terms of data so that when I go to write reports on the students, I like to have specific numbers or more descriptive information about how they're performing, what types of uh, content we're focusing on. Uh, But IEP meetings and paperwork times also built into my day. So Tuesdays and Thursdays from about 1 or like 12.45 to 2.30, I have 
uh, IEP writing eval report time. So everything is built in. I'm not scrambling to say, oh, I need to uh, come in an extra day. I need to come in on Friday to fill in this time. I feel like I always have ample time to get everything done. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think has been, I guess, surprising or unexpected uh, when you reflect upon your job thus far? Have you had anything that sort of you weren't expecting is another way to think about this question. That's a hard one. I don't, I guess, uh, maybe because I've just always been supervised or been in environments where there's usually been more than one speech therapist. I'm the only speech therapist at my school. And it was also very interesting because when I was finishing up my clinical fellowship, I was kind of like alone in the environment. The therapist that supervised me, she was in a whole nother district and she had tons of speech therapists at her school. And I was this clinical fellow still trying to learn everything. So I just think that is kind of rambling off and cut. Well, I think, you know, I think it is helpful for people to have kind of insight into all the different ways that they can kind of experience the profession. I do think you are right that there is that experience oftentimes of being the only one in the building. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it can be important to figure out other ways to have those connections, which brings me to my next question. I believe you have an Instagram. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Can you talk to us a little bit about your Instagram? Yes. So my Instagram is at beautybree, B-R-E-E, S-L-P. Um, I usually like to go on Instagram to connect with other therapists and post some of the activities that I'm doing, really creating activities that make it motivating for the children um, to learn. And I think Instagram also has really afforded me the opportunity to gain access to more information that I really wouldn't have known in the first place. Like, for example, learning more about the podcasts that you guys have or other bilingual therapists in the area or exposure to different languages and that nature. So it's been a pro in that aspect. That's awesome. I do think that is one of the things that is so different uh, when I think about when I came out of graduate school <laughs> quite a while ago. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that some of those feelings of being the only one or being isolated were still there. And it was maybe a little bit trickier to find folks to connect with. And so I think one of the benefits of social media and having a presence uh, on social media some TPT stores, uh, Instagram accounts. It's a way to find your your people. It's a way to connect with um, folks who understand what you're doing, where you're at, even if you're not in close proximity with each other. And so I do think that is, that's a huge benefit of social media. Social media is not always great, but in this case, I think it can be really helpful. So I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about your big why, what keeps you coming back day after day to do this job? I honestly think it's the connection. I think human connection is just 
a very, very beautiful thing. The relationships that we have with people are one of the most valuable things. Um, you know, there are studies about if you have more positive relationships, you live longer, happier, healthier life. So right from I, when I get the little ones, the one and two and three year olds, you know, I want them to be able to form healthy relationships, not just with me, but with their peers, with their parents, um, really be able to express themselves because, you know, how we're communicating our feelings right now. I want them to be able to communicate that as well. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, when you put it in, when you put it in the context of, you know, improving quality of life and literally extending life expectancy, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So if you had one piece of advice for people looking at working in the schools or working with a school-based population, uh, what would you most want them to know we have a lot of listeners that are either new to uh, the profession or they might be considering switching from a different setting to working with school age children so what would you most like them to know i think i would want people to know or like you said in the previous question remember your why um, so, you know, working in a school is definitely not an easy thing, you know, by no means. Um, so remember why you're there. Remember your focus is on helping the students improve. Um, you know, remember that you may be one of the only people who they feel like cares about them at that certain point in time. So just remember that you have a bigger impact than just being a speech language pathologist there, but you're really an important figure in their lives. Yes. Oh, Bria, this is a wonderful mm -hmm. conversation. Uh, do you have some things you're thinking about that we've forgotten to talk about? Is there anything that you wished we'd mentioned or discussed or that, that as we've been talking kind of came to mind for you? I think everything has been amazing so far. I, I, it's just this field is a very like tight knit community and it's just very intimate because there's not a lot of us. Uh, so I just love that we're able to have these conversations and bring awareness to more topics such as diversity, bilingualism, and then also, you know, really discuss how we're not just a speech therapist or, you know, speech teacher, how they want to call us, but really standing in our title, knowing the roles and responsibilities and how important our work is, but then also knowing that we are, we are like vessels for connection. Wow. So standing in our title, remembering mm -hmm what we bring and also knowing that we're vessels for connection. I think I may, I think I may remember that for a long, long time. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for spending this time with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Uh, I said tonight, but who knows when people will be listening to this podcast. Maybe they'll be listening to it at 6 a.m. So <laughs> whenever they listen to it, they will know that they've had the opportunity to learn so many amazing things from you. Thank you so much, Bria. Thank you. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. And this was one of our A Day in the Life of a School-Based SLP series. 
check out Bria's Instagram at beautybreeslp. That's spelled B-E-A-U-T-Y, B-R-E-E-S-L-P. And check out her website at breezyeducare.com, B-R-E-E-Z-E-E-D-U-C-A-R-E.com. So, so exciting. I hope you enjoyed her podcast episode as much as I did. Visit freshslp.com and you will find her show notes there. In her show notes, you'll find her picture, her bio, her links, all of those things. So you can easily click and help us out really also by sharing this podcast, going to Apple and clicking follow and like and subscribe and all of those buttons. We are working hard extending these conversations for SLPs as we learn and collaborate on what we all do in our field. 